fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to F-Triple-G-B-T. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. Who does that? We do. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennett. It is awesome to be here, Dan. Um, as you all know and our audience knows, Spider-Man's my favorite. Batman, a super close second. This movie almost switched it, Dan, for me. This was really cool. Wow, that's serious stuff, Denon, uh, which we're going to get to our history, the history you and I have with Spider-Man and Batman. It goes deep. Uh, it goes back. It's it, into antiquity as far as the <laughs> as far as the Internet goes. Uh, but we as you know, speaking of a man from ant- antiquity, we have to talk to our enigmatic engineer, our E period enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? Dan, tonight I'm just out on the town. You know, it's a very dark night. But there's this very <laughs> strange spotlight up in the clouds. I don't know what's going on, but I think it'll be an exciting night. I, I think it will be. If we keep these these Batman puns going, it's going to be a night. That we might we may it may be a dark night for for our for our ratings. Uh, but you know we're, we're gonna this this episode's inspired by the Batman, uh, and I'm with you, Denon. This was this was a great movie. And and Ben, really quickly, we got an engineer. We got lots of gadgets. This sure might do. be an, a gadgetorama. Yeah, you got to be excited about that. Absolutely, I always love to see, especially in this movie, how there are well-engineered bits that are shown so we actually know they thought about how some of this stuff could work. Yeah, I love that. And this is, you know, this is our season six finale, guys. You know, we've been at this show almost as long as they've been making Batman remakes. So uh, we're going to make this a we're going to make this a good one. But, you know, Denon, I, I alluded to our history, the history you and I have, uh, which goes all the way back to our days on Fascinating Fights. I think... If memory serves, the first episode we ever did together was Batman versus Spider-Man. Uh, so we just did Spider-Man. We're finishing up with Batman. It seems apropos, Denon. Oh, it so does, Dan. And, you know, I think an incredible thing the audience needs to understand is there are two deep questions. Who would win in the fight? Hence the fascinating fights. Right. But also, who is our favorite? You know, not always. Mm-hmm. Your favorite <laughs> doesn't always win, as we learned um, in a recent episode where your favorite is Hawkeye, and you did admit he'd probably be smashed by Thor. So Yeah, absolutely. You know. <laughs> or the Hulk. Or, or the, the Hulk, Hulk, by the way. Yeah. yeah. So, or or so, many of the Avengers. Or, man, or, or we can just keep going <laughs> yeah. through the list. Sure, sure. But, but <laughs> Anyone but Hawkeye. This movie, for me, captured at least what I think of as the essence of Batman. And I have to admit, everybody should know and remember, I'm not a huge comic book reader. So I'm not the one who gets up there and says, oh, this is nothing like the comic book. This is just like sort of my personal view of who who Batman should be. And I felt Mm -hmm. this movie really was the best movie Batman. And I'm going to stand by that. Well, well, for those of you who don't know that you are not a comic book reader, you know, uh, I put you on the spot last week and you let me know that. Uh, and it was a, quite an embarrassing moment for us all. But now that I know, uh, I will only go to Ben when it comes to uh, the, the comic book translation. But Ben, you must have loved this. I mean, they jump right in, right? Like what, what's great about this to me anyway, is that unlike the remakes before you, where you have to redo the, you know, the Thomas and, and uh Oh, Martha, Martha. The, Martha. the Martha, I almost said Mary Jane, like, <laughs> Michelle Jones, uh, the, the Thomas and Martha killing and how Batman, you know, we all know that story, right? And, and so this is just boom, right in there. You know, Bruce is, is, is already, you know, kicking butt on the streets. And this is, you know, this is pretty dark. And, you know, I just did a fascinating nouns episode on real life superheroes. And I think Batman for, at least for me, and I'm wondering about you too, he can't, he's a quintessential vigilante. You know, he's doing the right thing thing. Uh, he can almost sneak over into that villain line, but it's almost justified given the people that he's fighting. But he represents that dark part in all of us that wants to see justice by any means necessary. Now, is that true for you guys? I'm going to ask you, Ben, first, or is that just true for a guy like me who, uh, who probably needs psychiatric help? <laughs> well, I think justice is very important, and certainly Batman often delivers on that. But I also wonder, you Often. know, uh, every time, Ben, <laughs> you're a comic book reader. Every time I, I he think does Batman it. makes mistakes here and there. Uh, Maybe. But the, <laughs> what I also found was really interesting in this movie, especially, was how the mayor elect comes up to Bruce Wayne and asks him for support from a, you know, charity, from a 
you know, from, you know, a justice in terms of financial justice for the city uh, kind of thing. And he kind of blows her off. And I got, you know, made me kind of think about why doesn't Bruce Wayne as Mr. Wayne also do more to support the city and not just go around beating up criminals. <laughs> you know, so, so for Ben, for Ben, for me, Ben, for Ben, yeah, yeah. for Ben, for me, you know, wh- one of the things I loved about this movie is I do really love this tension between what this movie I think did very well was vengeance, vengeance versus truly being a superhero. And, you know, Dan, to your point, we all know the origin story of his parents getting killed and then he becomes Batman. But this was, to me, the origin story of going from just about vengeance, which he calls himself vengeance in most of the early movie. And it ends with him realizing, wait a minute, I can't be just about vengeance if I'm going to help my city. Um, Mm -hmm. And I thought, to me, this was an awesome kind of variation on the origin story for Batman in that way. It gave us a new insight into his psyche. I think that's right. And and I, I think they did a lot of cool things. You know, this was very similar to, you know, what we talked about with Spider-Man last week. And I have to mention this because I gave Spider-Man such a hard time. And I want to apologize to Zendaya and her entire family for giving her such a hard time. I'm sure she's wonderful to hang out with, uh, just not Mary <laughs> Jane. Um, but the cast of characters here is the opposite, guys. I thought that this really worked well. Uh, you know, you have the similar characters. You, you kind of futzed around with it a little bit, but it all kind of worked. And I loved, uh, I mean, Jeffrey Wright in Westworld is great, but he's he's incredible as as Jim Gordon here fighting against all the corrupt cops. Uh, and, and his relationship with Batman, I thought was great. I think this is, you know, a classic example of how you can get it right uh, when the comic books have built that that kind of connection. And the other thing here, uh, Ben, I'm looking at you here. You didn't like Mary Jane. You said it was was an old name. Uh, Alfred, that's pretty old, too. What is I think that he's Alan Frederick in this one. He's not technically (laughs) Alfred. Uh, Is that do you feel better about that? You know, I didn't even catch that, but uh, I kind of like that. You know, it's a little uh, it's a little fun. But at the same time, I also feel like the, you know, the British names are still in the past, so you know it's okay to leave Alfred in there. <laughs> well, you didn't catch it because I completely made it up uh, for, for, oh, okay. this, for this show here. Uh, but before we move on, you know, I want to mention, you know, we also then we also did a Batman sixty six yep. episode of Fascinating Fights uh, versus um, Batman sixty six versus Inspector Gadget. I'm going to put those on the website. And again, I did a Fascinating Nouns episode on Batman sixty six, the series with a guy named Robert Garcia, who's a historian. I'm going to put links to that all on the website. But we're going to move away from Batman 66 guys because as you know that is a very different version than what we see here this is very dark uh, and it's very real you know a lot of this technology seems real it seems gritty but it seems based in um, you know and uh, in, in, it can happen is what I'm saying you could build this it's you know I don't want to keep saying real but that seems to be the quintessential piece here what do you think Denon? the reality of this is what really was the final kind of nail that made me excited about this and did not put the movie in a coffin, um, mm-hmm. to mix a metaphor. You know, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I, was wondering, I was wondering where you're going with that, but you, you, you nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. It, it just, you know, we watch so many of these shows and movies where there's a core that's real reality, easy to explain, and there's stuff. We're the masterminds of this. We can explain anything and make it real. Uh, this this movie almost makes it too easy for us, Dan. It is just so good <laughs> at at yeah. being really, really close or actually accurate. I, I think between the three of us in our prep, we found maybe only two, two, two moments that make us nervous. Um, our mm-hmm. audience may find that's right. more. That's a pretty, pretty good hit rate. Yeah, I, I, what's really cool about the whole movie, but especially the gadgets that we mentioned before, is you, you really see the physicality of them in how they would they would work. You see, you know, the grappling hook not doing crazy thing with crazy things with swinging and stuff. He just you know he uses it to repel. He uses it as an elevator thing. You know, it works out. You know, he has a nice catch for it, so he's not like holding onto it with his fingers. It like you know slots into his arm guards, which probably have like a whole set of joints to connect it to his center of mass. You know, there's all this stuff in there that makes sense and makes it realistic, which I really, really appreciated. And I have to add one thing, Dan, you know, Mm -hmm. I loved that he built it all. I mean, I know I'm not the engineer in the group, but I'm a wannabe engineer at times. And just watching Mm -hmm. the Batcave and the parts laid out, right? Like they would show you um, basically him building things, including like parts of his motorcycle. And I believe there was even a scene with parts of the car. He was clearly mm-hmm. working on the car, yeah. you know? So I was just like, 
this is cool. He's not, you know, paying some rich corporation or stealing from his own rich corporation to get his tools like maybe another Batman movie did that we won't mention here. Right. <laughs> this, this was this was this was hardcore nitty gritty work that he had to do, which meant he understood his equipment, knew its mm-hmm. limitations and knew how to use it. So I was yeah. just I was just really excited by like the scenes in the Batcave, which doesn't happen often. Right. No, it doesn't. And I, you know, yeah. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I love the Bat Cave, but I also love how he gets to the Bat Cave. You know, I went up to the Bronson Caves here in Los Angeles where the original Batman 66 Bat Cave is, and it's a small little tunnel. But here he uses an old subway tunnel, which is great because there are so many, you know, we forget that a city like well, Gotham City is basically dystopia New York. And in a city that big and that old, you do have this infrastructure, this abandoned, these abandoned tunnels and subway systems that are, they're not used used unless you're Batman. And I love that he uses a subway <laughs> tunnel to get there. There's this great documentary called Dark Days about the mole people in, uh, like, I don't know, that, that may be a derogatory term now. The movie was made a while ago, so <laughs> I apologize to any mole people listening. Uh, but, that, you know, but it, it's big enough and forgotten enough where people can live down there. And a great way to hide an entrance to a bat cave. Uh, I don't know. I, this was great to me. I, I love this use of the New York infrastructure. I really enjoyed it. I have to admit, I... I this is not a criticism. I, I did miss the, the mansion way out in the outskirts of the city and the country, but apparently, you know, that became an orphanage. So what are you going to do? Um, and, you know, I, I, I loved the um, times where they jumped through waterfalls um, with the Batmobiles because um, clearly a waterfall. I mean, we know from every adventure movie you've ever watched, the waterfall is the best way to hide anything, whether it's secret sure. treasure or your bat cave, sure. <laughs> right? Because yeah. no right. one yeah. ever thinks to look behind the waterfall, Dan. Like, that's just not what you're going to do. But no. I do like this twist. I love it being right in the middle of the city, and I love the subway tunnels. Well, I also like that. I, I think, to me, it's a more realistic way to hide something in, in this era. I don't. I don't know how a drone doesn't just follow the Batmobile back to the Batcave <laughs> when it's out in the woods and nothing's going on. Whereas, you know, if you dive down into a subway tunnel and you don't have the cameras on down there because you're Batman and you hacked the surveillance system, of course you can get lost. You can lose somebody down there. It's a lot easier. Drones aren't going to be able to follow you as easily. It makes a lot more sense in my mind in the modern era. Yeah, it's no Wi-Fi getting through all that concrete. Uh, you know, but you mentioned hiding, which is interesting because this moves us on to one of my favorite parts of this particular movie. Uh, you know, as a lead in here, you know, this movie, again, it's really gritty. Uh, it's it's much more dangerous. It's a much more dangerous world because you have the Riddler. He's basically a serial killer, and that is so different from the Batman 66, you know, Frank Gorshin, the guy that I dressed up as as a kid. Uh, you know, I was I was the Riddler for Halloween. I would not be this Riddler for Halloween. People would, would have me committed. Uh, but I love that, you know, we've got these ciphers. If you're watching, you know, the YouTube version, you can see that I have the Zodiac Killer 340-character uh, cipher behind me. And this is important because I came across this interesting article, guys, that really compares the Riddler to the Zodiac Killer, and this was not by accident. This was on purpose, and so it's a very interesting comparison. And really quickly about ciphers, I want. To, well, let, let's talk about ciphers. I want to get your opinion on ciphers in general before we go into some of the details about this one. Because Dennis, I'm curious. You know, you seem like a guy who likes puzzles. You know, if you feel like a Wordle man to me, uh, what, what do you think about what do you think about these in general? Well, first of all, I grew up loving ciphers. I mean, one of the most exciting moments in my life was when I learned about breaking simple ciphers by looking at the, you know, letters that are most popular, you know, find the E's, the S's, the T's um, and and do that. And you can work your way through. I like making simple ciphers. I also love the fact that I discovered, you know, lemon juice makes really good invisible ink. Um, right. I really thought I was going to be a spy until I learned I had no poker face and couldn't lie. So those were <laughs> problematic. Guess you a quick question. Yes, so you when can. you're doing the ciphers, you know, I, I feel like it's the same strategy with Wheel of Fortune, right? R-S-T-L-N-E. Uh, yep. Did that ever come into play when you were, you know, with those substitutions, uh, you know? Oh, yeah. No, all the time. I, I use that all the time. I was never really good at Wheel of Fortune because, I, I, you know, I, I really, when I'm on the spot, um, I can't think of the word that fills in. Um, and right. this is my problem with Wordle. I, I, I very often will have one letter left and guess five words that work in the English language, but not the one that meets the Wordle. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Always a problem. You got to meet the Wordle, Dennett. Uh, I mean, it's important. Yeah, there, there, there are problems. But, but ciphers themselves. And I loved, as a kid, learning the difference between cipher and code. Mm-hmm. Right? Where, where, you know, where you're, you, you have a cipher that's a letter 
um, replacement, maybe incredibly complicated one, um, and you're actually writing English words in a new set of symbols or letters versus a code where you really actually need the code book and you need to know every word to every word um, and, and just the, the challenges of that. So, no, that whole, that whole area is absolutely fascinating to me. I suspect it's the same for Ben. He he looks a lot like a secret spy um, code person as well. You look like a daily yeah. jumble man, Ben. Yeah, I can see you doing that. <laughs> well, I, I would do the jumble uh, when I was at home and there's an actual paper there uh, you know, to help the family with it. Yeah. Um, but I, I do do the wordle and the quartals and the octordals and all those as well. So uh, I think what's interesting, though, is this difference between ciphering and coding, as, as Denon alluded to. Because what's fascinating about what the Riddler does and what the Zodiac Killer does is it, it's substitution. You're, you're changing one letter to another, and there's patterns, and there's transpositions, and all this stuff to mix things around. But it's still not how encryption works. It's not where you have a basically a random number that you're adding on to the other, your, your message, and just making complete indecipherable garbage as, as it were. And so it's this fascinating thing where a cipher is always eventually to some degree solvable because there's always a pattern. Mm-hmm. And that's what's fascinating to me about this, this Zodiac puzzle is it took 50 years to find the crazy pattern the Zodiac killer put into it, but it still was a pattern that eventually was able to be figured out. Yeah, well, you know, and I like that you mentioned that because it was figured out. It was 51 years, Ben, which is important. Uh, or actually, 50, I think it was actually 52 because this came out in 1969, uh, basically the year that uh, the United States ended. That was a really good and bad year. 69 was a very strange year. Um, but, you know, you have this, you know, the, the 340 character cipher. It was cracked, you know, uh, last year by a man named David Ornichak and, and a, a group of people. He wasn't the only one. But he said something really interesting in an article I'm going to put up on the website, which was that this particular code with the computations we have now, it was so computationally, uh, the resources required to crack this were so heavy that nobody in 1969 could have cracked it. Now, I'm guessing, he, his, and also his guess, is that the fact that it stumped people for so long means that even the Zodiac Killer was not aware of just how difficult the code was that he made, which is incredibly impressive. Now, I know, Ben, you said that this wasn't like digital encryption, but in some ways, it's like analog encryption. And, you know, this code survived what is essentially the analog version of a brute force attack for 50 plus years. Uh, that's pretty, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. But what's interesting about it, once you know the trick, it was easy to decipher. And so there's this fascinating thing that he just picked a way to to do the cipher that was just really complicated. And there's gazillions of different ways he could have done it. And because of that, it stood up for a very, very long time where it and yeah, that's just. It's just it's interesting that there's different ways to to come to a long term uh, unsolvable problem like that. Well, I also think, Ben, what it really shows is one of these challenges of algorithms and math. Right. If you know mm-hmm. the rules, it's always easy. Yeah. If you don't know the rules, it can often be impossible. This is why as a child, I don't know how many of you had to do this. I hated the math homework where they gave you a sequence of a bunch of numbers and asked you to say what was next. Because I was always going down the wrong path, right? And, and like all of that was like there could have been lots of rules that they were using. Um, and if you knew the rule, yeah, it was obvious. And the teacher always knew the rule, which was just not fair in my mind, right? Of course not. And, and then some of these aren't even about it's math. Rich. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Some of them, they're in alphabetical order or something, right? You have to like know that they're using the spelling of the numbers, not the actual numbers themselves. And then you're missing in, mixing English and math. And these are the type of ciphers, to your point, Dan, it's an analog rule, right? It's an yep. analog encryption. And I think that's a fascinating area of this space. Yeah, school's a rigged system, Den, and you're not going to beat it. Uh, and, and, you know, you're right. I mean, it's funny when you said that, Ben, like it was easy once you figured it out. It's like, well, yeah, everything is. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, once you know the trick is figuring out the trick. The trick. Yeah, well, but what's interesting you know? is is modern encryption, if you know the trick, it doesn't matter. And so yeah, that right. that's, what's the, that's the difference between ciphering and encrypting is that there is no trick in encrypting. It's just ah. the math. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Well, and you know, and I like that you brought up the distinction. Uh, well, I, I think Denon actually brought up the distinction, but you continued it on, which was the the difference between you know codes and ciphers. Because one of the other things that I just want to mention, because I I love this particular historical fact, and I don't think these people got enough. I don't think they they have quite enough um, recognition. And that's the World War II code talkers, where the United States government used um, you know the indigenous people's languages, you know the Comanche, the Hopi, the Navajo. Uh, you know, that's just to name a few. There's a whole list of people who who dedicated their services to the to the government, and you know, they were basically creating a code uh, in languages that were so different than you know the Romance languages or basically anything that was around at the time because the structure was so foreign that you needed to know the language in order to figure <laughs> it out, and this was an incredible advantage to us and. You know, uh, if you don't know my my thoughts on this, uh, the fact that <laughs> any of the, the the Native Americans would have helped the United States government do anything uh, <laughs> is a testament to just how honorable and great that they were. Uh, but this is a fascinating piece of American history. Yeah. No, I love it, Dan, and it, it goes to you know that language thing. I think we forget, uh, and I first of all agree with you. Absolutely amazing on all angles. Um, that, but it's also just showing that this breaking languages that are lost is basically code breaking. And when you know, trying to understand Egyptian hieroglyphs, how key it was to have a mm -hmm. Rosetta Stone, right, right, where you actually yeah. had a language you knew. Mm -hmm. um, right. Yeah, but once yeah. you start breaking it, right, that then all this other stuff follows. It does make me wonder how much of Egyptian hieroglyphics we really got right. Um, and you know, we read things and think it's something fancy, and it's really you know. <laughs> Susie's a loser. Get her out of my house. You know, right. <laughs> well, you think about it like the Rosetta Stone. We don't know that it was done by any official organization. It could have been right. someone's like notes at home, you know, for school. Right. Like deciphering. You know, we don't know. It could have been shorthand. Uh, that's a really interesting point then. And who created the Rosetta Stone? Was it Jonathan Rosetta? Was it Susie Rosetta? We don't actually know. Um, and we don't know what it was for. It's a great point. And, and, you know, it, it, it really comes down to a lot of this encryption stuff. You know, I, I think about it. Um, we're at a stage people are always hear about quantum computing. And to Ben's comment, you know, where a lot of modern encryption is just math that our computers can't break right now. Mm -hmm. um, quantum computing is someday going to, in principle, allow us to break the math we do now. Um, but then we'd have to create new math that that can't break. So it's an interesting ongoing arms race at some level in this space of encryption and coding. Denon brings up a great point with this quantum computing, and it just goes to show this whole the whole concept of you can't keep secrets from the future. All codes can eventually be broken, whether it's a cipher like the Zodiac Killer. Eventually, you can throw enough Mathematica at it <laughs> to figure out the substitution patterns and things and get what the Zodiac Killer was saying, just like you can throw enough quantum computing at the modern internet backbone encryption and... It will it will break and it will break very quickly if the theories of quantum encryption or quantum decryption pan out. And it's it's a scary thing because all of a sudden, if that works, you know, all of a sudden every bank transaction's in the clear, every uh every you know, every medical record, every everything, everything that's ever been encrypted will pretty much break right away if quantum decryption works out the way we think it might. You know, and actually, interestingly, Ben, I know you pointed out that we're not safe from the future. I, I think if anyone has been watching this show um, every episode, they know we're also not safe from the past because in a galaxy far, far away a long time ago, um, mm -hmm. you know, R2-D2 could break anything um, just by plugging <laughs> his little tube into the computer system. So um, nothing safe from the past either, Dan. Both right. directions are dangerous. <laughs> Yeah, and if you and if you're running low on Mathematica that you want to throw at a problem, I'm going to put up. Put we're going to build a store here, and you're going to buy uh, Mathematica by the ounce. But I don't know how they sell it, but we're going to have some for you. It's usually by uh, the software license. By the yeah. software license. Wait, does gonna, it come <laughs> by the cup, Dan? Does it come by the cup? <laughs> I don't. It's an interesting point because we need to put it. We can put it next to the cups, next yeah, to the mugs or, on the triplegbt.com yeah. backslash merch. Or whether it's cups or water bottles, you can uh, get. Everything you need on the FGGBT merch store. 
It's very important, whether it's Mathematica mugs uh, or or water bottles, it's there, fgbt.com slash merch. I keep saying backslash. I've been corrected. I'm going to work it in there, slash. <laughs> and before we, you know, before we move away from this, I want to mention one other thing here, which I think is really fun, is if you like ciphers and you want clues and you don't want to do Wordle, if you think it's, if it's, if it's too trendy, if it's too pop culture for you, uh, don't worry. There's lots of great books out there that actually uh, have ciphers in them. Now, these are in the past. I just mentioned <laughs> Wordle. <laughs> which is very new. So I'm going to go back 20 years and talk about a couple of examples. <laughs> when I was, uh, you know, when I was in college, David Blaine's book, Mysterious Stranger, came out, which uh, I loved that book. Uh, and in it is a cipher and you win $100,000 if you figure it out. Now, don't try to figure it out now because it's, you know, solved in 2004. But it was <laughs> it's it's a really fun thing to add to a book uh, as a, you know, as a little marketing scheme. And of course, there's the Forrest Fenn mystery, which was solved uh, roughly in 2020. Uh, it was confirmed. The guy didn't come forward and then he came forward later. Uh, but this exists out there. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and, you know, it's a cool way. To, to sell a book, I guess. Um, but, you know, what is not cool? We're going to move from something fun to something absolutely terrible and rooted, although rooted in reality really quickly. Uh, as you did, Ben, you mentioned uh, the movie bomb, that you would have a hard time figuring out something if it was strapped around your neck. Uh, and, you know, in this movie, we see a bomb around the DA's n- neck as he's, you know, trying to, he's got the phone and he's, you know, scrambling to figure it out. Th- there's a movie called Evil Genius. Uh, I'm promoting two documentaries here where this actually happened, where someone created a bomb put it around a man's neck uh, and had him rob a bank. Uh, this is pretty crazy, and it, but it shows you the ingenuity and actually how close and how, how much this particular movie is just, it's inspired by real life. And I don't know, Denon, if that's scary or, you know, fun from, from a technological standpoint. Well, this particular one is unfortunately scary, obviously, but what's sure. also... I give you a softball there. I want to make, make that clear. So that was an easy one, yeah. Yeah, it's either what, scary. It's not fun. Okay, yeah, that's but, my riddle. But again... Mm-hmm. What's interesting about it is the choice the people made in the movie to make this at the right level in my mind. I mean, let's face it, blowing up somebody with a bomb around their neck is never fun. Mm -mm. But it's also usually in a movie of this style, when the bomb goes off, I would argue the explosion would be way bigger than justified by the size of the bomb used. And in this case, I felt like, okay. You know, there's an explosion. Batman is knocked back and he's sort of knocked unconscious. He's running a little bit away from it. But I felt, not being an explosive expert, to be honest, um, Mm -hmm. but I still felt that the explosion was appropriate to the size of the bomb. Um, I do completely agree with Ben. Um, I don't know. Well, well, Batman was solving most of the riddles. He did not actually have the bomb around his neck. That may have helped. Um, um, quite I, a bit, I would imagine. I may have I, mentioned this on a small, pat- That's yeah. not a small detail to overlook then, and I think that is very important. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I've shared it in the past in the show. Um, I am not the the best under pressure at answering questions. I'm great in formats like this, you know, because sure. there's no pressure here. We're, we're just right. chatting. But, you know... Put put me in like you know a high school bowl situation, um, and I failed to answer any question because there was a timer and a buzzer. Um, I feel like a bomb would only make it worse. I'm with Ben on that. <laughs> well, I will tell you before I want to get Ben's thoughts on this, but I do want to mention where since we're going back in history, you may not be an explosion expert, Denon, but you did reveal that you are a borderline pyromaniac. Which yes, uh, superhero, supervillain? <laughs> that's the question on you. <laughs> No, this is true, but let's let's leave that topic, Dad, and go to Ben. Fair enough. All right, Ben, what do you think about this? So, is this something you've created? Hopefully not. No, no. It's it's some pretty uh, sketchy stuff from an ethical standpoint. Obviously, say the least. Uh, You know, I mean, you know, obviously we need to do something about corrupt DAs, but strapping bombs (laughs) to their necks is probably not the right approach. Yeah, that's probably Uh, right. That's probably right. Yeah. you know, it's interesting because they sh- they showed some interesting technology with this, obviously. You know, I-, I think we all thought that as soon as he answered the phone, it would blow up. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it was-, it was interesting that that wasn't, in fact, how it worked. There was clearly some other extra transmitter or maybe it was, you know, Bluetooth connected to the phone or something. But it just goes to show that there- there's a lot of, you know, technology here, like making a bomb that you can trigger wires- wirelessly at the most dramatic uh, point <laughs> <laughs> at, when necessary, you know, that that's a tricky thing. Uh, and I, I, what I really also wonder is it seemed like the, the, um, the DA was sitting there for a very long time. I got to wonder how was the Riddler always ready to answer the phone <laughs> right away? Yeah. Like, did he, 
was he just standing off screen for like seven hours <laughs> waiting for the phone to be answered? Yeah. That's some uh, serious stamina right there. And no voicemail kicking in, but, uh, you know, let, yeah. let's not squabble over details, <laughs> but it is an interesting point to think about. Well, I, I believe he was at the event. I think we get a shot of him before we know that that's who he is up in the balcony. Oh, so right. I, that's right. I think that's he right. was he was tracking this, um, which is kind of clever. And actually, you know, your, your comment about, um, you know, the technology and being ready and the wireless and the Bluetooth, um, you know, it was really, yeah, it, it's the complexity of it that, that's part of the, the fascination of this. Yeah. But I also want to say, Dan, this is the one moment in the movie where I found it interesting. You know, riddles are tricky things. Mm-hmm. And and I felt the three riddles transitioned from riddles to um, interrogation questions, right? Mm-hmm. It was an interesting, yeah. an interesting moment where the Riddler <laughs> went a little less Ridley. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And riddles are tricky yeah. if you're not the analytical mastermind. I just want to make that point before Ben jumps in here. Riddles are definitely tricky, but I think it really just goes to show that the Riddler is also an engineer, or at least a software engineer. Because I, I like Denon's mention about voicemail. This phone was ringing for hours. So clearly, this is all like some app he wrote where it can ring for hours and not go to voicemail, not give up. Uh, you know, there's some interesting tech there that just got, goes to show that the Riddler is not just a cipher writer, not just a riddle maker. He also uh, he's you know, he's got some real tech skills going on, too. Yeah. And it would be out of character for me not to mention that it was I who who pointed out the voicemail thing and not Dennett. Uh, oh, so that, well. that must go. That must be that must be said or I will get a lot of hate mail for oh, not I, living I, in my character. I, I was going to put that in my errors and additions, Dan, <laughs> if you missed it. Uh, so I, 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 was holding, I was holding on to that one. <laughs> well, I will tell you, you know, speaking of, you know, obviously I love being right. But another thing that I love that you guys know is Wiley Coyote. So we're going to move from blowing a bomb on someone's head uh, to becoming a bomb yourself because well, no one blows themselves up more than Wile E. Coyote. Uh, but the particular comparison in this movie is that incredible the flying suit that Batman wears. Like, how great is that? Uh, and, you know, for those of you who have seen us live at Comic-Con or several of the other conventions that we've, do we do live events, you will know we did an episode on the Acme product catalog. And this will come as no surprise to the two of you. I almost said the three of you as I'm looking at the two of you, uh, which is that that particular product that Wiley Coyote buys is called Batman's Outfit. Again, uh, the people who did wow. this movie, a lot of research here, Denon. <laughs> no, I, I, well, it just goes to show how awesome the creators of this film were to understand and make that reference. We, I'm sure it's an explicit reference to Wiley Coyote for all of us, you know, lovers out there of, of the great genius himself. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I will say, this is a moment I loved because, you know, you have Batman in some other movies, you know, gliding with his wings through various fancy technology that's very hard to imagine um, <laughs> right. building, right, uh, and, and supporting flight. We know we have suits, base jumping suits, glider suits, uh, and I'm not an expert in design of suits, but the, the fact that it's a basic mm-hmm. principle and it would yeah. look something like this, if not exactly this, um, I found really cool. Um, I really appreciated that. I thought, again, this may be one of those moments that it gets a little tricky near the end. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. One of the few potential failures of the movie. But <laughs> overall, way closer, more inaccurate to some other ways Batman flies. And he wipes out at the end, which you don't see very often. Which no. is kinda cool. <laughs> and that is the realistic part of the right. ending. <laughs> right, yeah. 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 Uh, well... What I think what was really interesting about it is it, it goes to show it goes back to the whole Batman is engineering and tinkering himself system because it really looks like he bought an off the shelf wingsuit, which is you know a thing that skydivers use to have more control while they're skydiving, and painted it black or well he probably just bought the black one uh, and, <laughs> and uh, easier you know, and fitted it into the rest of his bat suit. You know that's just. The, you know, that's the that's a real thing that you can get and go jump out of a plane with. Um, and then I love that, you know, he's kind of out of control, just like you are when you really use these things. And he th- pops a drogue shoot to slow down, which is really how you stabilize yourself and slow yourself down with these things. Sure. And then foolishly, he does it right in front of a bridge and uh, should have killed himself. But, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, it just goes to show how rigid and shock absorbing the rest of the suit must be that he didn't get crumpled when he hit the uh, underside of the bridge. Sure. Yeah, no, it's just a well-designed suit. And it's just bad luck that the bridge was there. That was not his fault. 
<laughs> you know, you'd think he'd be used to the elevated train rails being all over the place by now, but uh, sure. I guess not. <laughs> well, I will say that, you know, you mentioned he probably has it under the suit. It's a little bulky. It's very baggy. It's very like early 90s MC Hammery baggy look. Um, but that's one of those things that you want to have and not need and, instead of need and not have it. I mean, we could. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what I love about this is that, you know, he's Batman. Right. And a bat is a mammal that can fly, which uh, is I, I love going to the zoo and seeing seeing bats that uh, they're just I think they're so incredible. They're really cute, too. Um, but there's a lot of things that and a bat can actually fly. And obviously he's gliding here. And what I love is there are so many other mammals that glide and use extra skin. They've you know evolved the extra skin to do that. Flying squirrels might be the most adorable of that group. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to put you know uh, a video on the, on the website of some flying squirrels. But also this is kind of cool, guys. In Indo and this is very Batman-like. In Indonesia, there's gliding snakes. And we've talked about this before, but snakes are a little different when they fly. The way they, uh, I think it's undulate, is that the word? They, they move back and forth. They right. swim mm -hmm. through the air, which is really mm -hmm. bizarre. One of the things they chase after is a flying dragon, like a, you know, like a little, a little lizard, uh, not an actual <laughs> dragon, obviously, uh, but you know, like a little, little kimono dragon kind of, and it glides as well to get away from the flying snake. So in, in Indonesia, you've got several non-birds gliding and flying after each other through the trees, uh, which is just, it tells you just how great nature is, you know, guys. And as we say, nature is something's technology or something, I think. Isn't there a famous quote there? Uh, I believe it was, the, it was the great analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, who once said, biology is nature's technology. And in no case have we ever worked on or looked at, is it more true than right there in Indonesia? See, I, 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 knew, I knew there was a quote there, Dan. I knew uh, there was. <laughs> you, yeah. you nailed it. Uh, it just goes to show the escalation of evolution where, you know, the lizards evolve to glide and at the same time the snakes are evolving a way to spread out their ribs and glide after them you know as one animal figures out a way to get away from something another animal evolves evolves a way to catch them still so it's just it's fascinating stuff how all these these co-evolution things happen out there in nature. Is, is this kind of like the future can break any code we have now? Like, <laughs> you, you know, once, once you evolve a way to fly away, somebody else evolves a way to catch you. <laughs> yeah, well, something will almost always evolve a way to catch you. It might not be flying, but, you know, <laughs> you know I'm reminded of the snakes that hang out in at the entrance of bat caves and just snatch the bats out of the air those, bat, those snakes don't fly they're just really sensitive and fast holy cow i've never heard of that before that's awful why is that not a batman villain that's incredible actually that's that's really good uh i mean it's a literal arms race out there guys uh just yeah. to continue our, our terrible puns from earlier um but you know when we're talking about gliding i remember one of the first non-air gliding things that i've that i ever learned about was when i was in driver's ed and hydroplaning you know, where you can basically your car's gliding along the road. And we see that in this movie, this great car chasing with the Batmobile chasing after uh, the penguin. And it's raining pretty heavily. And somehow these vehicles are maintaining just, you know, uh, NASCAR level uh, handling uh, out there uh, in the rain, which is kind of incredible because, you know, I remember learning in driver's ed that you can hydroplane. Your car can literally be a boat uh, in a tenth of an inch of water, 0.3 centimeters, going at only 50 miles an hour. The physics don't seem right about that, then, and it seems too easy, and that makes it very scary. Well, you know, as we all know, I am an experimentalist. My specialty is foam. I don't know what it has to do with this particular question, but I thought I'd mention it. You know. <laughs> that is the worst foam reference ever. You have no reason for it. You better come back to foam, Denon. Better fill those well, tires or something. Well, I, I, I will say some foam in this story would have been very helpful because there is a dangerous <laughs> ending to it. Um, uh -huh. In, in high school, I managed to hydroplane going about 20 miles an hour, um, and that 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 was due to um, tires that were probably slicker than ice. Um, my my friend and I, uh, I had forgot my tie that I needed for the um, photo for the soccer team, so I took the liberty of leaving school in the middle of the day, not the wisest move, um, slid through, hydroplane through a, a stoplight. Um, Hitting a, a, another woman who was also had left school when she wasn't her car. Or I was going to say, I hope now, she was in a car at the time. No, 
Her, her car was a tank. It just like dented her door. She, no, no, n- nobody was injured. And um, we did discover that the VW Bug I owned, the seat was not actually held in place. Um, the passenger seat by anything other than rust um, because the seat came, came free. Uh, my friend oh, no. did hit the windshield, no damage, and then the seat <laughs> fell over backwards and he was lying on his back. So a little bit of foam, Dan, would have really helped in this oh, situation. God. That's awful. And with and the Volkswagen Bug, you know, it famously has the trunk in the front. So that crushed oh, and well, I mean. Well, no, the, uh, yeah, the, but the gas tank is also in the front. And so I oh, remember right. sitting there going, do not explode. Do not explode. That was my only thought. Do not explode. <laughs> um, I tell this story because the hydroplaning is very dangerous. It's very interesting. It was literally I was going about 20 because I'd come from a stop sign and the car didn't accelerate very fast. But the interesting comment was when my mom tried to convince the police officer not to give me a ticket for running a red light, which technically I did. I slid through a red light. I don't sure. know you know, if that's running it. Um, the officer was, that's fine, ma'am. I could just give him a ticket for driving too fast for conditions. Um, which ticket would you like him to have? So I guess it was an either or. A ticket for the hydroplaning or a ticket um, for running the red light. But, Dan, you're absolutely right. Um, hydroplaning is dangerous. Um, the, the the speed you can go safely clearly depends on your tires. So your 50-mile-an-hour quote, if you get bald enough tires, that number goes down. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, it goes it goes to show the kind of the physics and the engineering of it because, th- you know, Den talks about ball tires, right? Tires without tread. It's the tread that keeps you from hydroplaning. And the, the, the more channels you have in your tires, the faster you can go without uh, hydroplane. I, I, I remember all these tire commercials from when I was younger showing, you know, the wire wicking through the channels on the tires and, you know, this will be the safest you know, tire ever, and you can trust your, you know, infant to it kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but it's a fascinating thing because, you know, I, I would hope that, you know, Batman, knowing he lives in a rainy place, you know, where there's always clouds, so the bat, bat signal can always be projected against a uh, skybox that is where <laughs> sure. it's visible. I hope he has some very heavy, aggressive off-road tires on the Batmobile so that he doesn't hydroplane while he's chasing the penguin. And the penguin, you know, being, you know, an aquatic creature, he must also know. So that's why he didn't hydroplane. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, Ben, I think the penguin just got lucky. Um, I, I think Batman <laughs> was designed for this. And so, Dan, to your point, yeah, hydroplaning, the nice thing about it is if you really understand the physics and the engineering, you can design against it because it really is um, – impressive how solid a thin layer of water can get. Mm-hmm. And and when you compress it between the tire and the road, there is basically no friction, right? And it really, fluid technically, and not just technically, actually is basically an <laughs> incompressible body, unlike gas. And we forget that water just can't be compressed. And so if you have a perfectly smooth, flat, bald tire like I did, you 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 literally just press the water and, oh, it doesn't go anywhere, and you're lifted off the ground and you hydroplane. So right. it's kind of a, a scary situation. Well, I want to talk about – I want to see if there's any fixes we can do here, guys, really quickly. So are, is there a way to, to engineer – I mean, it's, it's, if you can't compress water, obviously you got to move it out of the way – you know, uh, is there a way to do it besides tread? Is the weight of the car do anything? I mean, could we engineer a way for uh, the Batmobile, given the conditions that he's that Batman's always under, to have a situation where he's never going to hydroplane? Is that possible? Well, I, I mean, hydroplane is all about not having water under the tires. So one one thought I have is you use the engine. You know, he's got this jet engine that blows air really fast. You know, maybe you do some kind of air squeegee in front of the wheels with your uh, jet exhaust to uh, clear, you know, you know, kind of like Moses parting the Red Sea, get the get the water out of the way of the wheels. Oh yeah, I, I think that's the easiest, and and you know, is the air blowing. I also wonder if you know he's got an incredibly hot car because of the jet engine. Um, instant mm. vaporization of the water might be another way to go, mm. um, where you're just basically creating such heat. Um, that the tires can withstand it. There's a little tire engineering there. You don't want to melt your tire um, while you're accidentally vaporizing the water. Um, and by vaporize, I don't mean the standard science fiction turn to dust. I mean literally turn it to water vapor. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you'll get a cool steam effect as you yeah. drive yeah. through. So <laughs> that would be pretty cool. I mean, those are great fixes I, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, you could also just have a mechanical squeegee in front of each right. uh, tire. With little, well, going yeah, that, that just seems a little situation. more dangerous and slow. That that worried me. I was yeah. I was trying to picture that in my head, Ben. Little windshield wipers in front of your tires, and and what impact they would have on your driving speed. I mean, the trick with that is how do you how you do it without uh without having them drag and catch and blow up, especially on a probably not well maintained Gotham freeway, because you know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't think the roads are uh, super in super great shape. Over well, there. I will tell you, I think and I could be wrong here, but I believe the Acme product catalog does have a set of squeegees for your tires. Uh, but as we've seen, it may not be something that we want to use. And it's possible that it may show up uh, on, on our merch store. Um, we'll have to see. Uh, but until then, if there's anything that we've missed, if there's anything that you want to see from the Acme product catalog, uh, let's talk about it here. Anything that we missed. Uh, this is our errors, additions, and omissions section. Things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Denon, is there anything about the Batman that you wanted to talk about that we didn't quite get to? Well, two quick things. One is just kind of a style choice. I love the fact when movies are able to do previews that don't let me know what's going to happen in the movie. Impossible, um, but go I, ahead. No, but I think this preview, I, I know you don't watch previews, Dan, because okay. you don't want spoilers. Mm -hmm. This particular set of previews set up a very different movie. Mm -hmm. They chose to make it look like a violent action movie, not an intellectual puzzle-solving Riddler movie. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciated that. When I went in and watched it, I was like, whoa. This is not the movie you advertised. It's a way better one. Um, I was not. I did not have high hopes for this movie, and I came out of it really liking it. So props to the uh, appropriate use of previews. Um, two, I, I really love. You know what gets me is when really smart good guys have to do something super stupid for the bad guy to have any chance so that you have a movie, right? Like, think of how many times the movie you went, well, that that wouldn't really happen. But I guess if it didn't, we wouldn't have a movie, right? Like, mm, you know, right. and in this case, spoiler alert, you know, the big thing was Batman didn't recognize a carpet tool. And you know what? That's very believable. Mm -hmm. he, you know, there right. is absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he knows a lot, but he doesn't know everything. And carpet tools are certainly in the category of stuff I would not necessarily expect Batman to know. Sure. And it takes the crazy sidekick guy who has a brother who's a you know who lays carpet to go, hey, that's a carpet tool. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I love when when the mistake the good guy makes is is very believable. And my third final one excellent use of grappling hooks in battle. Like the grappling hook Batman had, I mean, Ben already talked about the realistic use for climbing. He wasn't swinging. He wasn't doing crazy things, but he had these grappling hooks on his, on his suit that had some power and he used them when fighting people to do the classic um, non-lethal Batman fighting. Haven't seen such good use of grappling hooks in a long time. So I actually had three. I, I usually only have one or two. I got very excited by this movie, Dan. Uh, you absolutely did. Well, I will tell you that Batman is neither Batman nor Bruce Wayne are a man of the people. So the fact that he doesn't know about interior upholstery is not surprising. And, exactly. and, and you said you liked the, the the trailers, but in fact, the marketing people didn't do their job because they sold the movie that it wasn't actually uh, the right movie. Uh, but we're, we'll but, but that's that. what I liked it. I love being surprised. I'm an odd duck. What can I say? Uh, no, that's fair enough. OK, well, I, I could go on about the silly marketing people. But what about you, Ben? Is there anything about this movie that we didn't talk about that we just make it into <laughs> well i i mean i think it all comes down to the, the the climax at the you know the gotham arena first of all i i appreciate that the terrorists with the guns they have they're still following their osha rules they're they're tying into the cables <laughs> so that if they slip they don't fall to their deaths which also makes it easy for batman to dispatch them without right. killing them i appreciated that yeah. uh but what was also interesting about that is Batman enters by like exploding the entire glass ceiling. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't think it's a good idea to drop a bunch of glass shards like 100, 200 feet onto a crowd below. I, I don't think that was a good way to enter the uh, arena, per uh, se. Especially as it filled with water, by the way. Movie magic, I suppose. It's safety glass, Ben. It's all rounded. It's safety glass. It's not sharp. Safety it's all glass. rounded when, it's it, still, when you explode it. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. That's how they design arenas. <laughs> That's exactly uh -huh. right. Well, I mean, it tells you how just blue collar this movie is, right? This movie is for the the common man. Uh, and I like that. I like that they follow their OSHA rules. Uh, I've got some stuff here, guys. You're not going to believe this, but I've got three corrections. Uh, and actually, I'm going to correct you first, Denon. 
It is true. I've confirmed it that if a tree falls in the woods and no one is around to hear it, it does not make a sound. I just wanted to <laughs> confirm that for everyone listening. Uh, okay. I, and I got one for you, Ben. <laughs> mm-hmm. According to the Baby Center, and I, I want to, people who haven't heard this, you know, uh, I said M- Michelle Jones is a goofy name. Uh, ben said no one names their kid Mary Jane anymore. Uh, and we left it at mm-hmm. that. Well, I'm not leaving it at that, Ben. Uh, according to the Baby <laughs> okay. Center, which is the authority on baby names, I can only assume because it proves my point, is that Mary, the name Mary, is at 210 rankings of all time. Michelle is at 249. Mm -hmm. Just going to say that. Mm. The Bump, which is another uh, another website about baby names, has Mary at 308 and Michelle at 687. So I'm uh, I'm going to... Uh, but Dan, is, does is, any of them have Jane as a middle name? I'm getting to it, Denon. Uh, oh, okay. Jane is at 571, which is still ahead of Michelle. So I rest my case on that. Uh, and s- the other thing is I want to correct something that I said. I'm hitting everybody today. Uh, and that is a chrononaut is the official term for a time traveler. I did not hit nail that before. Uh, but is there anything else that we missed? If anyone else has... has uh, By the way, Dad, did oh, you call oh. him a chrono donut or something? What was your mistake? Oh, no, I don't know, but a cronut is pretty delicious. This is a chrononaut. Okay. Very, di- okay. <laughs> Very different then. I know chocolate <laughs> chips are your arena. If I had said cronut, I know you would have caught me earlier. Um, chron- chrononaut uh, is officially a time traveler. Chrononaut. Uh, but if we've missed... Uh, cr- chrononaut. <laughs> Someone... Uh, one iteration of what we said is correct. I'm going to let you guys choose which one it is. That's our riddle. That's our puzzle for the episode. But is there anything else that we missed that you want to find out about? Or you want to talk to us? You want to get in touch with the show? It's easy to do. We're on Twitter at FGGBTPod. We're on Facebook at FGGBT. But you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Well, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram. That's just flip my name and it's at Denon Michael. And then if you want to find me on Facebook, you stick a prof in there. It's at Prof Denon Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you want to get in touch with the show via email for questions, correspondence, or even a general inquiry, that's questions at FGGBT.com. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you, to rate and review and double check that you're subscribed. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful scientific information that can be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. So you want to be careful with this information. You got you to use it properly because you have a choice before you. Superhero or supervillain, as we say on this show, you want to be a superhero. You don't want to be a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there fgbt.com and before you leave don't forget to check out our other episodes you can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got and you'll notice that we've got both a youtube version and an audio only version depending on what you like we got it for you and if you do like those videos you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well we're on youtube.com backslash daniel j glenn and once again if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening